to worship and to magnify his holy name. John chapter 16. John chapter 16. We have been working our way through this chapter. Jesus is preparing the disciples for his absence, his physical absence, as he prepares to go to the cross to become sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He knows that they don't fully comprehend and understand, just as we, if we were in their shoes, and as we have often been in our Christian life, not fully grasping all of the spiritual truths, sometimes feeling like we have to get hit upside the proverbial head to get us to wake up, to get it to click. And he knows Though they trust him, though they know him as the Messiah, though they believe in him, and he will rehearse that with them again here at the conclusion of chapter 16, yet he knows that he must prepare them for persecution and for the absence of his physical presence and gives them the promise of the Comforter, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And we see in Chapter 16, as we were looking at a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit will come. He has come now in, 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 in the, the time that we are in looking back, but as he is promising his coming in his fullness. The Holy Spirit has always been, as the third person of the Trinity, he always has been, always will be, he's eternal. But in, in his fullness of his ministry in dwelling believers, We read in chapter 16, in verse number 8, that he will also have the ministry of reproving the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment there in verses 8 through 11, as we looked at a few weeks ago. But then his ministry to believers. Yes, his ministry to believers includes still a conviction of our sin to restore us back into fellowship. We are, as believers, children of God, sons of God, but we need that convicting aspect of the Holy Spirit, that reproving aspect of the Holy Spirit to keep us right with God, to restore us back into fellowship. But we also see the ministry of the Holy Spirit as we've looked at in that he supplies us with spiritual resources. He guides us into all truth. He supplies the believer with God's presence and he supplies joy even in times of sorrow. So many resources, so many ministries that the Holy Spirit brings. And again, without belaboring the point, we know that the Holy Spirit is often misunderstood, often misdefined, mischaracterized in our world today, in our culture today, in a very sensual culture, in a feelings-based culture we can begin to get caught up in some of the ways that people claim that the Holy Spirit is moving when He is actually not. The Holy Spirit is not an emotion. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. God in the Spirit. God the Spirit, I should say. We know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And He brings a powerful ministry in our lives as believers indwelled with the Holy Spirit, having repented of our sin, having put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross and His resurrection, at the moment that we receive Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. That ministry of the Holy Spirit in that fullness of the ministry was not fully understood 
prior to the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And Christ is promising this fullness of the Holy Spirit's ministry, this supplying of spiritual resources, this guiding into all truth, and then this joy in the place of sorrow. So then that brings us to, in this passage, down to verse number 22. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 23 says, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Another ministry of the Holy Spirit is in regards to his answers to our prayers. Prayer, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our prayer life. We see here in verse 23, Verily, verily, truly, truly, Jesus says, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. This is not taking the name of Jesus and using it like pixie dust, like some magic charm that we rub, like some incantation or recitation of some magic words. The name of Jesus is not a good luck charm, is not the magic words to get God as a genie in the bottle to come out and to grant us all of our desires and our wishes. His name is not to be used as a name it and claim it kind of faith or a word faith method that is so common in religious circles today that name it and claim it or word faith method for claiming health, wealth, and prosperity in the name of Jesus. So misrepresented, so misunderstood. No, to pray in Christ's name means to come to God on the basis of Christ's merits, on the basis of Christ's righteousness, and for God's honor, and for God's glory, for God's will to be done for the furtherance of His kingdom. As He taught the disciples to pray, we know in the pattern, in the template of the Lord's Prayer, of the disciples' prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed or holy be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praying with a submission to all that God is, to all who God is, to all who Jesus is. Not just taking the name of Jesus and using it as some sort of magic words, good luck charm to pull God like a genie out of a bottle, or name it and claim it, or word faith, but literally to submit ourselves to the will of God, praying in faith, believing, asking and knocking and receiving, but according to His will, as we depend upon Him, as we trust Him. This word, ask, in verse 19 Also in the first part of verse 23 and then also in verse 26, this word ask, going to verse 23 again, and in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Back in verse 19, 
Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me. That word inquire, and up there in verse 19, the first part of the verse, they were desirous to ask him. That word ask has to do with asking a question or making a request of someone who is an equal. But then in verse 23, the second half of the verse, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Verse 24, hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name, ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. And then in the second half of verse 26, and I say not unto you that I will pray, there we see the word pray, same word that is translated ask, will pray the Father for you. That word, ask, means to request something of a superior. So when Jesus uses the term of his prayer of the Father, of his asking of the Father, he always uses the term referring to an equal, asking of an equal. Speaking of Jesus' deity, But when the disciples, when we, as Christ's followers, ask, we ask of someone who is our superior. Christ asked of one who is his equal, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, one God, three persons, equal in essence, equal in character. But we, as disciples, as followers of Christ, when we ask, we ask of one who is a superior. So we are the dependent ones. We are the ones who are to be humble and to be trusting and to be looking to our Heavenly Father for help. Because we desperately need help. As we look across this world As we are reminded in verse 33, in the world ye shall have tribulation. The Holy Spirit's ministry in prayer involves the fact that we are tempted and constantly distracted from praying like we should or praying in the quantity that we should as well as the quality that we should. Christ knew the disciples would need help in this matter of prayer. They would need the ministry of the Holy Spirit when it came to their prayer lives. In just a short time, as they are possibly even already arriving in the Garden of Gethsemane, or will shortly, Jesus would have the disciples pray, and he would take Peter, James, and John a little further into the Garden and ask them to pray, and then he would go and he would pray, even to the point that he would pray And there would be sweat drops of blood that would come from his brow. And as Jesus came back, we know from the parallel accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the Synoptic Gospels, and then even John 17, we are going to look at the high priestly prayer of Christ. We know the intensity, the fervency in which Christ prayed. But when he came back to the disciples, what were they doing? They were sleeping. And isn't that part of the temptation when it comes to our prayer lives? We're tired. Our minds begin to wander. We fall asleep. We get distracted. I know it's easy for me as I'm praying through. I often take the prayer list and I 
will pray through. Even as I'm preparing the prayer list for a Wednesday night and updating, I'm praying through. Oftentimes, I will go through in my mind's eye and I will pray up this side of the auditorium and pray down this side of the auditorium. So if you change seats, it messes up my prayer uh, sequence. (laughs) But I have to have structure in my prayer. I need a prayer list because what happens is my mind begins to wander. Oh, I've got to do this today. I've got to have this appointment today. I've got to go here. I've got to go there. I've got this going on. And, oh, I've got to pay that bill. I've got to meet this appointment. We get so distracted. And we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit for our prayer lives. Prayer and evangelism are two areas that we always can do better. We always need to work harder at and to be more disciplined in and to make more of an effort because those are two areas that are just so easy for us to lapse, for us to disregard or become complacent in. Jesus knew that. He knew that they would need the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their prayer lives. And again, this isn't just using some sort of prayer incantations or prayer recitations. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a book of prayer. Again, I like to use the prayer list. I like to have a structure for my prayer life. I understand some churches will have prayer books, and and that, that can be helpful. But we're not to depend upon recitations and incantations. We're not to pray with meaningless words and just recitations that are almost mind-numbing and not really from the heart. But we, we can go to the Scripture. We can, as I've often done, I've gone to the book of Psalms, and I have literally prayed through certain Psalms. I, I, I've gone to prayers in the epistles, Paul's prayers, and I have found myself often praying in the pattern of Paul's prayers for my own family, for the church, for others. So many patterns of prayer in the Word of God that we can use to help us in our prayer lives. But we need this ministry of the Holy Spirit. And some have even taken, I referenced Romans 8 and verse 26, where the Holy Spirit intercedes, makes intercession, comes alongside us, pleads on our behalf before the Lord. Romans 8 and verse 26, the Holy Spirit, as He intercedes for us, will do so even with groanings which cannot be uttered. And some have even tried to take that passage and have tried to say, well, real, true, meaningful prayer is ecstatic utterances. Gibberish. Speaking an unknown language, an unknown tongue. That's not what Romans 8 and verse 26 is saying. And implied throughout this chapter as we see the ministry of the Holy Spirit in prayer, we never see any reference to some angelic, unknown language. Everything implied here in this passage and inferred from this passage has to do with words of meaning and understanding. We ask and we pray of the Father and we do so with intelligent words, with words that we can bring forth from our own knowledge of the language and vocabulary. So then what is Romans 8 and verse 26 referring to with groanings which cannot be uttered? 
It's simply saying that there are moments in our lives as the Holy Spirit ministers in this way, as he ministers in our prayer life and helps us in coming before the Father with our requests, with our supplications, there are going to be moments in our lives where the emotions are so deep, the feelings are so deep that we don't even know how to form the words but the Holy Spirit still makes intercession for us to the Father. And I don't know about you, but I have been there on more than one occasion in my life. I remember being in the hospital in Nairobi, Kenya, as I was sick with some sort of amoeba or something, some bacterial infection or whatever that I picked up while I was there. And I was so sick that it take me to the ER And then the missionary said, I'm sorry, we have to get back to the church service. We'll have to leave you here while we go and we'll be back for you tonight. And I'm sitting there in the ER in Nairobi, Kenya, East Africa, sicker than a dog. And I don't know how how sick a dog can get, but I know how, how sick I was. And I sat there in that ER and I prayed, Lord, help me. I can't, this was in the days before cell phones. This was in the day when I just had to wait and hope and pray that there was no traffic jam because it could turn into hours sometimes to go from one part of town to another because they had potholes the size of craters and an accident could result in a gridlock and just like that. And I prayed and I can't even remember everything that I said that night in that ER but I was thinking of Romans 8 and verse 26 as I prayed that night. I wanted those missionaries to make it back. I wanted to see my mom and dad again. You know, I was miserable in that hospital in Nairobi, but God ministered to me in that place. That's just one example. The missionaries made it back. I was able to get the right medicine. I felt a lot better in a short amount of time, and I thank the Lord for that. I can just think of that one moment. There have been others, and you can probably think of moments as well, where we are so grateful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our prayer lives. Times where we're separated by distance, and we can't possibly be there even for a loved one, but we pray for them. Times where we, again, have such deep-felt emotion and anxiety even, where we have to give this to the Lord And we don't know how to put it all into words. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's not some ecstatic language. It's not some gibberish that we come up with. And then that's when we are really reaching God is when we have this emotional ecstatic utterance and this gibberish that comes out of our mouth, this unknown tongue. No, that's not what this passage or Romans 8 is saying. These are words, requests, That we come before the Lord and Christ encourages us. Ye shall ask the Father, verse 23, in my name and he will give it to you. Hitherto have ye asked, verse 24, nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. There were going to be times where they were going to have no answers, humanly speaking, as they faced opposition, as they faced the unknown, as they faced the taking of the gospel to the world, 
as they would meet resistance, as Jesus would ascend back into glory, they would need this ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he is saying, up to this point, you have not had to pray in my name in this way. I have been with you. But you will desperately need this ministry in a short time because I will go to my Father. But you will still be able to go to the Father and pray because I will be with you in the person of the Holy Spirit to intercede on your behalf and to minister to you as you bring your request to the Father. And so we see that the disciples, they took this ministry of the Holy Spirit and of prayer and they lived it out. We can see in the book of Acts that the disciples preached the gospel and prayed. The early church was a church of prayer. Jesus had given us the model for prayer. He had been the best example of praying, often going into the mountain or into a desolate place, into a quiet place to pray. And if Christ, who is God, had to pray and made that a regular part of his ministry as he was on the earth ministering in physical form as the God-man, if Christ made time for prayer and made that an important part of his ministry, a priority of his ministry, of his life, Should that not then be an example to us? If Christ needed to pray, and Christ made prayer an important, prioritized part of his ministry, so much more should we. So it's no wonder that we are taught by Christ himself how to pray. We could go to Matthew 6 and verses 5 through 15, and the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, as I quoted a part of that earlier in Many of us probably know it by heart. Not that we should just make that an incantation, a recitation. I I ministered at an assisted living, a a nursing home, retirement home for many years in Indianapolis. And part of our service on a Sunday afternoon would be to say the Lord's Prayer together. Okay, I'm not opposed to doing that kind of thing. But the disciples' prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is a pattern, a template by which we should organize our prayers and how we should see our prayer life developing in the same form, in the same pattern. Matthew chapter number 7, Jesus gives another example in teaching regarding prayer. Matthew chapter 7, in verse number 7, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. God wants us to bring our requests to him. God wants us to bring our needs to him. He commands us, Jesus, in Matthew 7, to ask. He he tells us to seek. He, He tells us to knock. Christ wants our importunity in prayer. God wants us to come regularly to him in prayer. We've all, as parents or as grandparents or even us as children growing up, We would do this. We would ask. And we would ask again. And then we would rephrase the question. Because mom and dad had said, don't ask again. So what would we do? We would just rephrase the question a little bit. I didn't ask it the exact same way I did before. Or there would be those 
sometimes not so subtle hints that we would bring up. And there would be that urge, that begging. Sometimes I understand that as children and as sinners, we're just being manipulative, right? We're, we're just trying to manipulate our mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. Grandmas and grandpas tend to give in a little bit more to that kind of thing, don't they? Just something about it. We stood strong as parents, but then as grandparents, all of a sudden, there's a weakness. It's something about having grandkids, I guess. Uh, I'm not there yet, but I'm, I'm understanding that uh, that's, that's what happens. But we have a begging spirit when it comes to lots of often selfish and material needs. But what about our spiritual needs? What about the desire to come to God to ask and to knock and to seek because we have a great spiritual need that we want God to meet. We want to be so totally submitted to God's will that whatever God says, no wait or yes, we will accept it. And we will allow God to do his perfect will. Oh, we bring our needs and we're asked to, we're told to, we're commanded to. We're commanded in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, pray without ceasing. We're to be in a mindset of prayer all the time. We have corporate prayer. We have private prayer in our personal devotions, but then we also have a mindset of prayer. So we're constantly praying. We're commanded in Ephesians 6 and verse 18 to pray always, praying always in that great passage on the armor of God that we looked at last year as we went through the armor of God and the aspect of prayer, praying always. Philippians 4 and verse number 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. We see the scriptural commands and reminders of prayer, the importance of of prayer. We continue in Matthew 7 and verse number 8 For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do, you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We see in that teaching regarding prayer that God desires, God wants to give us the good things that he knows that we need. Now, sometimes in our rebellion, in our selfishness, as we ask amiss that we might consume it upon our own lusts, as James talks about, there are times where God says, okay, you want something badly enough, I'll let you have it. And then we're miserable with it. As the meat was in their mouths, we read about the children of Israel, it became bitter to their stomachs. Because they were asking amiss to consume it upon their own lusts. That's not the kind of prayer that we're talking about here. Jesus wants us to come with true, humble, contrite, broken hearts before him. 
submitted to him and to his will, asking, seeking, and knocking, because he delights in giving his children good things. As fathers, as mothers, again, as grandparents, there is a delight in meeting the needs of our children, of our grandchildren. There is a delight, there is a joy, and a joy in seeing their needs met. Now, we're not to, as they get older, of course, we're not to enable, especially if there's sin, we're not to just give them everything and turn them into spoiled brats, obviously. As they get older, they have to take on more independence, they have to learn to do more on their own. And hopefully we have taught them and they're taking ownership of those biblical values and principles that we have tried to instill in them. But the point is that God delights in his mercy to give us what he knows is best for us. And sometimes it is our change of mind as the Holy Spirit ministers to us in prayer. It is that change of mind that we need to accept what God gives us and believe that it is what is best for us and that God knows what he's doing and that he is not just good all the time, but he is holy all the time. So we are taught here that the ministry of the Holy Spirit involves this ministry of answered prayer. And then in verse 25, these things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall, I shall show you plainly of the Father. This word Proverbs has to do with veiled or pointed statements. The Proverbs that he is referring to could be also thought of as parables or illustrations. You think about it. In the discourses in the upper room, Jesus has used things like the washing of feet. He has talked about the vine and the branches. He has used the illustration of human birth, all of which are illustrating and helping in analogies to teach a spiritual truth, to give them understanding. So the point is that, that, that Jesus was teaching them, was instructing them, knowing that they needed this instruction, they needed this truth, even though they would not fully comprehend it and understand it until later. Again, to use the illustration as a parent, how often do we give our children information, we give them advice, and we know that right now they probably do not even get it. It doesn't click. How many times do our children get to be about 15 or 16, and all of a sudden they know everything? They don't even want to be seen with us in a public place. All of a sudden, you walk into a place of business and your child disappears. Because all of a sudden, now dad or mom ain't cool anymore. You know, they get to that point, and we've been there, and we, as children, we we have to be careful. And as we raise our children, we have to, I know as they get older, we have to do more coaching and coming alongside at the same time. They're still our children, and we still have responsibility to instruct them and to teach them. But we give them the truth, and we give them guidance, and we give them advice, and we give them counsel, and we say even things like, well, you just wait when you get to be my age. Or we say things like, you just wait. I can't wait till when you have four children. 
and you're working 50, 60 hours a week, and you're trying to pay all the bills and meet all the expenses and all good to get to all the appointments. And sometimes in our frustration as parents, we will say things like, I can't wait till you are my age, and then you'll appreciate all I'm doing for you. Okay, We say things like that. Jesus wasn't saying anything like that in some sort of frustration or exasperation or impatience. He is the Holy Son of God. But Jesus is saying, I'm speaking to you in these Proverbs, in these veiled, pointed statements, because you need this truth. You need these illustrations. You need these analogies. I'm instructing you and teaching you because you need this counsel. You need this instruction. But I realize it's not going to fully settle in until later. But you still need it. And then we get down to verses 26 through 28 and we see Christ as our intercessor we see the Holy Spirit's ministry in prayer and then we see this ministry of intercession that involves Christ so very closely because the ministry of the Holy Spirit in prayer as the intercessor Christ himself is our intercessor and our advocate so we see the two are hand and glove together and of course, as persons of the Trinity, as God, they obviously work in perfect holiness together. But verse 26, at that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Simply saying, Christ is, yes, speaking of the ministry of the Holy Spirit as intercessor and advocate, but Christ is saying, I am also going to continue to be your intercessor and your advocate before the Father. Satan is accusing. Satan loves to point his fingers at a believer and say, see, they don't serve you for the right reason. They don't love you as they should. They have failed you miserably. We think of Job as we are given a little window into heaven and Satan comes before God and says, Job only serves because you have blessed him. And then God allowed Job to lose everything and yet Job would not curse God. Christ knows the disciples, that us as believers. We need an intercessor. We need an advocate. We have embodied that in our judicial system. One of the ways in which Christian biblical principles have played out here in America, even though there are so many things that are wrong with our justice system in so many ways, we can still see this biblical principle of justice and advocacy and intercession played out in our justice system. That there is habeas corpus. That there is a due process. That there is a right to a trial before our peers. Where did that come from? That came from a biblical understanding. Not that the founding fathers and all the judges and lawyers fully comprehend the biblical truths, 
But we understand that that is a reflection of the image of God. Because we need intercession. We need an advocate. And Jesus is saying, you are going to come under persecution. You are going to face things. You are going to have difficulties. You're going to have trials. You're going to be my ambassadors to take the gospel to the world. And you're going to meet resistance. And you're going to have great needs. And I will still be with you in the person of the Holy Spirit, and I will still be your advocate, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I know he doesn't reference that specifically here, but we know in Romans 8, in verse 34, that Christ is our high priest. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Or how about Hebrews 7 and verse 25? Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. We read in 1 John 2 and verse number 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's not saying, shall we continue in sin? Of course not. God forbid that we should continue in sin. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is only true because we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we have this intercession. We have this advocate before the Father. He pleads on our behalf. He makes it possible for us to come boldly before the throne of grace. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know why we don't pray? Because we think we have it all figured out on our own. We think we can do it ourselves. We think that we can just get through life and deal with the problems and deal with the difficulties, muster up our own strength. I have an iPhone 14. I have a Samsung 23. I have a two terabyte computer. I have whatever process. I have this nest egg. I have this ability to make this money. I can command all these people to do whatever. I have this big paycheck. I have all these resources. I have all this management skill. I am a self-made man or a self-made woman. And that's the temptation, isn't it, that comes? I don't need to pray because I've got it all. I've got the strength, and that's part of the problem that we have as believers in our prayer lives. It's because we think we've got it figured out. We can do it on our own. We've got enough resources, enough technology. We have enough education. We know how to make it happen. And then we resort to things like manipulation and bullying and gossip and backstabbing and selfish, self-centered types of activities to try to get our way because we're no longer trusting the Lord. We're no longer praying and seeking his will and thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now it's my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is already in my way. That's what we get in trouble with. We begin to demonstrate our lack of prayer life by our manipulation, by our trying to do everything on our own and go our own way and 
ignore God and His Word and His commands and His principles and His promises. Christ says you, you need the advocacy, the intercession of the Holy Spirit. You need the advocacy and the intercession of me, your great, your great high priest. And then we, we conclude in verses 29 through 33, we see that the Holy Spirit brings joy. The Holy Spirit brings joy in overcoming the world. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou comest forth from God. The disciples claim once again to knowing Christ, to believing in him. We know that Peter has already made the great claim in Matthew 16 that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And all the disciples, one hypocritically, Judas, was there, no doubt, and did not speak it honestly, truthfully. But all of the disciples agreed with Peter when he said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In John 6 and verse 68, the disciples also, I believe it was again Peter who said, Thou hast the words of eternal life. In a similar sense, they are saying that again now. We know that you are the Messiah. We know that thou knowest all things, that you are God. We know that we need not ask any man. We know, we believe that thou camest forth from God. We know the things that we need come from you, come from God. That you are God. But again, there were holes in their wall of faith. There there were areas where they still did not fully comprehend. Peter is going to say in the Synoptic Gospels in a parallel passage, as Jesus is stating these things, Peter would say, I will go and die with you. And what does Peter do in just a short time? Denies Christ three times. The disciples would scatter. Jesus even will speak of that. We know that there were still areas of growth. There were still areas of weakness. We still understand that there were areas of faith that needed to be grown and developed. But yet they again repeated their faith and their trust in Christ. Their belief in him. In verse 31, Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold. The hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered. There he is. He makes that reference. He knows what's going to happen. Every man to his own and shall leave me alone, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. He promises that the Father is with him, even though they would leave him, though he would die alone. Humanly speaking, he would not die alone because the Father would be with him. Though there would come that point in time where he would even cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As he became sin for us. But verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The ministry of the Holy Spirit brings joy. Brings overcoming. Brings overcoming to our lives. In the midst of a world full of tribulation. He's reminding them of his peace. He's reminding them of his joy that only he could bring in the midst of a world of tribulation. One commentator defines peace as the possession of adequate resources. 
and appropriate relationships. God's peace comes through the possession of adequate, can I say, spiritual resources in Christ and through appropriate relationships. An appropriate relationship with God through Christ and obviously then with others. So Christ is saying we have the needs met, our resources. Our need for spiritual resources are met in Christ. As 2 Peter 1 and verse number 3 tells us, that we have all things that we need according to His power. In 2 Peter 1 and verse number 3, we, we have everything that we need for living the Christian life, for salvation and for living the Christian life. And He's reminding them of that in this world that there is tribulation. And we don't have to think very hard or very long to understand that there is tribulation in this world. Think about the sexual revolution that increased rates of STDs, abortion, divorce, all kinds of relational and family consequences to the point now that literally the foundations of our country are being torn apart. Think about the tribulation that is around us right now with the sins of the LGBTQ community and the intolerance, the intolerance of religious liberty and biblical Christianity. Think about the tribulation that we are facing right now with the crime, the high rates of crime and lawlessness, the high rates of suicide and anxiety and depression, even among our youth as statistics have come out that our teenage girls are suffering in areas and in ways that they've never seen before. In an age, in a time of the most technology and the most wealth, our young people are suffering more from mental illness and especially our young ladies are Young girls. This world brings tribulation. Politicians, philosophers, secular educators, false teachers, false preachers, they offer, they offer empty solutions for all this anxiety, for all of these tribulations. They point fingers at each other. They point fingers at the biblical model. They point fingers at the biblical instruction. They point fingers at the conservatives, the Christians, the Bible believers and say, you're the problem. You're the cause for all this tribulation. But Jesus says, no, the tribulation is because of the world, because you have rejected me, because you are not doing things my way, because you have rejected me, the Prince of Peace. In this world, you have tribulation. And as believers, the more we compromise with the world, the more we'll bring tribulation into our lives, into our homes, into our families. It will make us unstable, make us unfruitful in our Christian walk. But instead, we are to what? We're to be of good cheer. Because as we rest in Christ, as we allow the ministry of the Holy Spirit that brings joy and that brings overcoming, we can be victorious in Christ, in this world in which there is tribulation. And we... Get tired of the headlines. There are times I have to turn the news off. I can't listen to another political commentary. I can't watch any more of a particular news station because it does nothing but create anxiety and fear. And I have to remember that, yes, I have a job to do, a responsibility before God and living the Christian life and standing up for what is right and leading my family and all the things that God has given me to do. But ultimately, my peace, my joy, my satisfaction, my overcoming is found in Christ, 
in the Lord. And we have to claim this promise. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. As we leave this place this morning, as we come to a close this morning, may we once again be brought like the disciples were. As Jesus was about to go to the cross, as they were about to face tribulation that they didn't even completely, fully comprehend and understand, may we claim this promise that in Christ we can have good cheer, we can have peace, we can have joy, we can have overcoming through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that, Lord, in a world of tribulation, of anxiety, of stress, with all of the statistics of crime and suicide and depression and deaths of despair and despairing deaths, Lord, we know that we have peace that's found only in Christ, that there is joy and that we can have good cheer in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of sorrow, but only in you, only through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as we trust you, as we allow your Holy Spirit to do his office work in our hearts. And Lord, maybe there's someone here who is in anxiety, who is in fear, who is struggling, Lord, because they're unsaved. They don't have the ministry of the Holy Spirit because they're without Christ. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit to them right now is one of conviction. Lord, bring them to a place of saving faith today. Lord, cause them to repent of their sin and put their trust in you. Lord, as believers, Lord, help us to once again be renewed in our desire to be filled with the Spirit, to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, to be controlled by the Spirit of God and not by our flesh. And Lord, I pray that you will work in our hearts even now as we sing this closing.